Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. I'm said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Well, hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbrough, and glad you're joining me again this week. Got another great one for you. Got an interview with the author of the blog, wellfedhomestead.com, Brenda Scott, a great guest today. And, uh, you know, this one's more for the folks who find themselves in a situation uh, where maybe you don't have a big homestead. Maybe you're just starting out. Maybe you're in a situation like I was a few years ago um, and still am really. But I I was in a place where I thought, you know, I can't grow a lot where I'm at. What am I going to do? And then I... I kind of discovered that I, there was a lot I could do right where I was at. And uh, this one's going to be for that person today. We're going to talk a lot about the things you can do right where you're at, even if you wouldn't um, consider yourself on a great location for a homestead. Uh, we're going to look at what might be a lot of limitations in a situation like that and uh, and look at a few of the things you can do even though you're in that situation. So I think it's just a great win for the people who find themselves in a place like that. Uh, I think you'll enjoy the guest today as we talk about those things. Uh, before we jump into that, though, I thought I'd just give you a quick update of what's going on here on my homestead. And let's see uh, the garden, the new garden area that I put in up beside my house. I'm loving that. I'm loving that. I got a mulch down and all the, uh, around the beds to the, uh, this week. And, uh, so for our little pathways, um, even set out some containers, uh, of potatoes in between the trees up in that area. I still have a one whole side. I have to kind of clean up and plant and, and work that over, but all the new raised beds I built, uh, are all planted now and things are just going really good. We've had some really good weather, um, these last few days and just the right amount of rain with the right amount of uh, sunshine. And it was just, everything was almost perfect this week for a garden and it just went really, really well. So just been doing that, getting that fixed up, doing a lot of home maintenance, as I've mentioned a couple times before, uh, it recently is that I'm off work right now because of the, uh, the uh, quarantine stuff that's going on. And, um, you should be going back here in about another week. But, uh, in the meantime, trying to get a lot of things done around here. It's a great opportunity for me to uh, get the gardens uh, caught up and get uh, some home maintenance done. And uh, see right now I've got another uh, batch of uh, quail eggs in the incubator I'm looking at right now. And those are, see, those have about 11 more days and we'll be hatching some more quail. 
and uh, just a lot of things going on around here um you know right now uh, a lot of people complaining because they're bored you know at home but i'm never bored at home i've always got a lot of things to do <laughs> matter of fact i could probably use a couple more months off if i if i had to just to get things really caught up but it's well you know it's really good i'll be anxious to get back to work and kind of get things back to normal but like I said, in the meantime, uh, get as much done as we can around here. And I've been really working hard. And it's just been a lot of maintenance stuff. You know, with homesteading, that's a lot of times what it is. You know, you're you're fixing some boards. You're fixing some fence. You're, you're you know, repairing this or doing that or, you know, planting this. And, and it's just a lot of things. You know, it's been an opportunity to just clean things up and, and get things looking good again for, for a summer. You know, winters are hard on a homestead and everything kind of. I don't know. It takes it takes some wear and tear over the winter, and especially an Indiana winter. So, uh, you know, it's just a good, a great opportunity to kind of get things uh, back in shape. So, I'm just taking advantage of that. But enough of that. Let's just jump right into this uh, this great interview I had with Brenda, and I think you're really, really going to enjoy this. Well, today I'm joined by uh, Brenda. She is uh, author of the blog Well-Fed Homestead, and uh, she's homesteading. Well, she went from a, a rather large farm to a kind of a small situation where she's uh, trying to kind of reestablish uh, homesteading where she's at. But uh, Brenda, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Thank you. Glad well, to be here today. Well, I'm really glad to have you. And I guess we'll just start off uh, letting you kind of tell your story. Now, I've seen in an email you sent me that you actually used to live in Oregon, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So kind of so moved we, out to Virginia from there, huh? Yes, we did. Um, so, yes, we just recently moved to Virginia. We used to, um, so we used to own a 30 acre farm in Oregon and we mm. uh, raised every animal you can think of as traditional homesteading farm animal. Um, we were primarily focused on pastured chickens and um, we had layers, lots of um, laying hens and we did dairy cows and um, we did beef and turkey and ducks and geese. And um, we went to farmer's markets and sold there. We went to three farmer's markets per week. And so, yeah, this is kind of a different life. We're living on an almost quarter acre lot in a neighborhood now. Um, quite mm. different. Well, let's back up a little bit before you got to the farm and what kind of led you into that lifestyle. Was it something you always wanted to do? Is it something you, you did always do when you were raised doing that? What, what got you to the 30-acre farm in the first place? Yeah, I wasn't raised doing that, and neither was my husband. Um, my husband's grandparents owned 280 acres in Montana, and they were farmers their entire life. Mm. Um, but my husband, he grew up on just an acre, and they had maybe one cow or a goose or something at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up in a neighborhood and honestly just watching Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but um, I guess when we lived in a neighborhood before the farm, I wanted to start learning how to do things myself. So mm-hmm. um, I guess I had this gut feeling that food, our food is so important for survival and that I needed to have, um, some knowledge about that. Yeah. Want to so be a little more just, self-sufficient. Huh? Yes. So I started checking out all of the homesteading books from the library and I would um, check them out and recheck them out and keep renewing <laughs> um, <laughs> until I eventually just bought them myself. Um, <laughs> and uh, we put in at our neighborhood home before the farm, we put in fruit trees and a large garden and, um, I started making cheese and 
um, making butter and yogurt and um, learning those kinds of homesteading mm-hmm. skills. So it just kind yeah. of went from there, and you, you just couldn't get enough of it for a while and ended up on a 30-acre farm. And then we heard a little bit about that. So what? Uh, so why the move to Virginia and kind of the start over? Yes. Um, so the move to Virginia, kind of a long story, but all all of my family actually moved out to Tennessee. Mm. Um, so 65 people from my family all oh, moved wow. to Tennessee. Um, uh, and my husband couldn't get a job there. Um, in his job that he had, he could work in Virginia. And okay. um, so we're in driving distance of my family. So it was the closest state he could legally work in um, mm-hmm. and be close to my family. So and we moved to a town where we're near the college my our son would like to attend. Okay. So that's why. Yeah. 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 So now you're kind of starting over. You gave up the 30 acres, but you're, you, I mean, you haven't escaped the homesteading desire. So what kind of things are, are you doing or planning on doing right where you're at? Yeah. So, um, I, we don't have a very large backyard. We have, it's mostly out front. Uh-huh. Um, but in the backyard, I, I have a garden tower going and several pots all around. Um, and I am, growing starts in little, um, little pots. And, um, I have raspberries and blackberries and blueberries, um, and a couple fruit trees in pots, uh, large pots going. And then, um, and then just, I feel like part of the homesteading life also is some of the indoor stuff. Like I'm I'm doing, yeah, yeah, a gluten-free sourdough starter because I have to eat gluten-free and um, kombucha and water kefir and i i keep up on all of that and i feel like that's part of the sustaining ourselves and um yeah absolutely life so well i find that really inspiring because you know a lot of folks um are in a situation and now you're ahead of the game where a lot of folks are because you you already have the knowledge of a lot of this stuff you've already done it um you're kind of starting over but you you already have you you have some wisdom when it comes to growing things and raising animals and things like that so you're you're kind of starting fresh but not completely from new but there's so many people right now uh that are getting into homesteading that that never probably thought about it before just because of the things that are going on in the world with the food shortages and the scare of maybe possible future food shortages so there's a lot of people thinking you know I'd like to grow some of my own food so I I find it really inspiring that you know even even someone like you who who comes from that background a little bit um you know you're you're kind of starting over you're uh you're having to do the same thing and you're not in an ideal situation for it so you're going to have to figure it out with, right with a lot of other people but you see the value in it yes definitely yes and it's disappointing i i learned this week that we cannot have chickens on our lot yeah. um so that's discouraging because we are just shy of a quarter acre and that's our county's rule is that the lot is at least a quarter acre oh yeah, that yeah, that it probably wouldn't hurt so bad if it wasn't so close. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. but that's too bad. I mean, you know, I don't know. Like with me, you know, it's like uh, I'm, I, we are not allowed to have uh, chickens either where I live, and you know, I've made some other uh, decisions to do other things. But you know, I mean, there's still so much um, that you can do. I mean, even even if you have to buy those things that you can't do, you know, do the things you can do. 
And, and I think, again, that's where a lot of folks are. You know, it's like, it's for some people, it feels like all or nothing, you know? And it's like, yeah. I can't do everything. I just don't know if I, it's worth doing anything. But it's not true. I mean, you do everything you can and then perhaps support the people who are doing it yeah. like you would want to do it, um, you know, yeah. with, what, what, yeah. with what's left. I think it's a good way to do it. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we're big uh, farmer's market supporters. Right mm-hmm. now we can't go to them, but um, right. I think it's really important to support those local farms because they're growing the stuff we can't grow. They're raising the chickens and the beef and the pork, and so I think it's really important to support them. Yeah, and like you pointed out earlier, it's also you know, homesteading so much more than just gardening and raising animals. I mean, it does carry into the house, and I mean, there's so much you can do in there that anybody could do, no matter where you live. Even if you have to purchase the stuff to do it, I mean, you can learn to cook from scratch. You can, you know, you can ferment things. I mean, you can do all these things right. in your house. Right, right, and making yogurt, for example, is very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I make that. Keeping up. Um, water kefir and kombucha, um, those are easy. It's just a little weekly tasks I have um, to maintain. And I just learned yesterday, I was reading about what I could do with the extra kombucha, uh, kombucha scoby, and I was starting to write about this um, on a post. Um, I can add little bits of kombucha scoby to the soil around some of my acid-loving plants. So mm-hmm. I'm experimenting with that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, there, uh, I went through that same phase with, I had, was making a lot of kombucha and I had these scobies, leftover scobies. I'm like, what do I do with these? You know, cause for, for my area, believe it or not, I mean, I, there's just not a lot of people around here where I live that are really into drinking it. It's just not a big thing around here, you know, so it's not like people are begging for scobies around here to, to hand them out. Right. I, I think every, I think anybody in my area that's wanted one, I've given them one. So there's nobody left to give one to. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was looking for things to do and people's like, I oh, feed them to your chickens or put them in your garden or put them in your compost bin or then you're just naming all these things you could do with them uh and, and there was a pretty good list that come rolling in on me one time with things i could do with it you know yes yes i saw one the other day uh, um uh, a list of what to do with kombucha scobies and it said um to use it as a mask um and i think it meant for cleaning out your pores but with the culture we're in right now i immediately interpreted that as an n95 like a respirator <laughs> mask <laughs> i was laughing at how would you make that out of a kombucha scoby so yeah you look a little funny walking around in public with that hanging off your face <laughs> yes <laughs> yes oh wow yeah well i mean yeah and again there's so much you can do i mean now what, what are your thoughts on like even um, buying food from a farmer's market or even or even from a grocery store in bulk? I mean, you, sometimes you get good deals on things or or farm stands mm-hmm. and things like that. And when you're not in a situation where you can grow a lot of food, I mean, what are your thoughts on, you know, buying a lot of that stuff in bulk and, and preserving it and putting it up and you know, things like that? Oh, yes. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And one of the things that we, we can take, um, I think America – in general, but I think actually other countries too probably throw out a lot of food um, that we don't need to throw out. So when food mm-hmm. like vegetables are about to go bad, we can um, cut them up, freeze them. We can saute them. I um, sometimes saute vegetables and then freeze them like that. And then they're ready to go in omelets or mm-hmm. a casserole. Um, so we can save a lot more food than I think we've um, we often do. Yeah. And then I make stock often. So, um, that's another thing. 
one of the things I noticed in the grocery stores is that the chicken breasts and chicken thighs, all of the conveniently cuts of meat are just missing off the shelves. There's hardly any left or none left, but the whole chickens are still there. And I think that um, speaks clearly to what our, our culture leans towards. They lean towards yeah. all of the convenient cuts. Um, but I was adding it up the other day. If a family of four were to have chicken breasts twice a week, I can't remember. Um, it was like, I think 200 and um, I can't remember. I don't know the numbers. It was over 200 chickens, maybe around 250 chickens that have to be butchered for those meals. If you're just buying the individual <laughs> cuts like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, if they were to eat a whole chicken and then also turn it into stock, it was half as many birds mm. would need to be butchered for that family of four. And then as they would also have the stock for soup. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think well, just getting back into that mindset is really good for people. Yeah. And I yeah. think there's, you know, there's going to be more of that, obviously. I mean, with the shortages, uh, potential shortages, I hate to say there will be shortages, but I think without a doubt, we're going to see some price increases on a lot of things, uh, just because yeah. of, you know, the, the situations with the factories and things like that that are, that are happening. Uh, so I mean, I think of at least going to be some price increases. And, uh, and you know, I just think that, you know, one of the things that could come from this is are people going to be looking to, you know, learn how to cook from scratch a lot more or, or cook a multiple of dishes, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from a, from a single thing, you know, like a chicken, you know, take a whole chicken, like you just mentioned, you know, so often, you know, a family might just eat like two or three of the same chicken dishes a month, you know, over and over and over. And they're going to, you know, right. might be more of a call to, to, to buy a whole chicken and learn how to make, you know, a dozen different things from that chicken and, and really ultimately probably end up eating a lot healthier and, and probably a lot better, you know, taste and a lot, you know, mm-hmm. just get a lot more variety in your diet and a lot more, you know, a health base too. Yes. Yes. A whole chicken can hold in that moisture so much mm-hmm. easier than chicken breasts, which if you overcook them, which is very easy to do, they just become dry and they're not very good as leftovers right. <laughs> because they're yeah. so dry. So yeah, whole chicken is so much better in that regard. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I'm sure because you can't have chickens, you're really hating that because you, it sounds like you really enjoy <laughs> having whole chickens to work with. But, uh, yes. But I would imagine yep. there are there are quite a few people that you know small farms or small you know just homesteaders even that sell some chickens in your area. I mean, it, once things kind of somewhat get back to normal, you, sounds like you should probably be able to get your hands on some from a local supplier pretty you know fairly easily. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, how large how large of a garden are you are you going to be able to grow where you live? So it it isn't super large right now. Um, so I'm looking at because we have nearly a quarter acre the thing is in our neighborhood it it's all grass lawns all out front and it's pretty when you drive by drive through the neighborhood um so there's really this tension of do do we become those neighbors (laughs) those neighbors (laughs) who turn that whole front beautiful grass lawn into food um or do we fit in with (laughs) everybody else so there's that tension that we face as i'm sure many are facing yeah i've had uh you know i've always grown everything in my backyard and uh we acquired the property right next door to us and it had this wide open front yard it had a pole barn on the back of the property and the whole front lawn was just pure grass there was nothing 
And uh, so, you yeah. know, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, do I take this front lawn? Do I make front yard garden out of this? You know, do I just turn this whole thing in the garden? And uh, yeah. something else that's happened in the last few years, you know, three, four years here is I became a grandpa. And now I've been thinking, oh, I want a place for my grandkids to play. So we got swing set and I want a little grass for them to play on and stuff like this. And we got a couple dogs. And I thought, you know, I'm going to move the entire garden up to the side of my house over into this front yard and and clean out the backyard and just make it a place for the kids to play and and it's been a big decision for me and i've been doing it i've moved uh, most of my garden is out up beside my house in my front yard and what i'm going to actually do with that big wide open space in front of that pole barn is it's going to be a lot more uh, food force type like uh, fruit trees and and bushes and things like that um is what i'm going to plan on doing with that because it's not quite as aggressive as all garden but you know having the fruit trees and stuff out there it gives it that nice tree scenery and yet it doesn't look overwhelmingly like just a bunch of rows of corn or something yes so yeah it's been on my mind a lot too yeah i've considered fruit trees out front too um yeah i mean they take a while to grow so that's um the hard part right now if if a food shortage is coming soon um fruit, fruit trees we won't produce anything soon Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's something you have to think about and, and, you know, it just, uh, it, I'm, I'm big on, you know, trying to make things look as nice as possible though. I mean, I've seen, I, I'm, I'm up for anybody gardening their way, but I try to be pretty considerate to my neighbors and I try to make it look as nice as I can when I'm doing it, you know, cause I think that goes a long way with people, you know, if you can make it look presentable, um, and maybe, maybe yeah. I shouldn't worry about that as much as I do, but I think that's why you get a lot of problems in the city with growing things yeah. and raising animals is because people there's, there's always those few people who just don't care about what their neighbors think at all. And, and they just plant right. everything in any way they can and they're going to eat good, yeah. but it doesn't really help the cause much. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. I have to face a lot of that. Yeah. And very well can be the, could be the reason why, you know, you're not allowed to have chickens in your neighborhood because maybe there's been bad experiences with that in the past where some person had, you know, a hundred chickens on a 10th acre lot, you know, and it just smelled and was yes. noisy. And I mean, it could be the case. I mean, maybe there's a reason for that, you know. Yes. Yes. I did ask um, our county if we could have meat rabbits on our property and they said we could because oh. those are considered pets. We just can't create a slaughterhouse or a, like a commercial right. slaughterhouse on our property. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, again, I'm careful about all that too. I have quail and rabbits and, and uh, yeah, any processing gets done in the garage. <laughs> I just don't make yes. it open doing those things. Cause yeah, it will raise eyebrows. Yes. Yes. And then another thing um, that I was thinking of that people can do with their kitchen scraps. Um, I started taking some of our kitchen scraps and planting them. Um, mm. So the ends of, green onions i just put in soil and start watering and we can top every meal with green onions <laughs> yeah oh yeah right they now grow good yeah they grow good from that a celery mm-hmm. is another one i see a lot of people doing that with uh, they'll put celery in water get it to root and then you know plant celery stalks from the base of the celery i've seen that done a lot yes and i've been saving the seeds from squash that i purchased um and uh also just saving bits of potato to grow um, and sweet potato. So I think those are easy because right now a lot of the stores are um, out of seeds and not the seed stores. If you look at like Baker Creek and Burpee, they have seeds. But mm-hmm. if people are going to Walmart and Target, 
they're not going to find a lot of seeds right now. Um, And so there are ways to gather seeds from your food, though. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to potatoes, too, that's another thing that, you know, you don't have to have a big garden spot to uh, to grow potatoes. I mean, you could take those uh, potatoes and they're sprouting and you can put them in buckets or you can put them in those grow bags and set those around and and they don't take up a lot of space. And you can get a pretty good harvest of, I've grew potatoes like that several times and you can get a, a decent harvest of potatoes like that. Yes. Yeah. That's what, I've got them in the grow bags right now that have yeah. a little opening um, for harvesting them. So mm-hmm. that's convenient. What, like out the, what yeah. do you, like it just opens up, the bag just opens up and it just, the dirt, it all just falls out or what does it do? How do you do that? I don't... It has a, like an opening on the side to mm-hmm. be able to reach in and harvest potatoes down near the root. So I don't know. We will see when harvest time comes, how that works. So, Cause it seems like, the dirt will all fall out. Yeah, well, so, so it's kind of just designed to, to just harvest, you know, what you need when you need it and kind of leave the plant intact. Is that what it's designed for? Y- yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen those. I mean, I've just seen regular grow bags, you know, that just you just pretty much dump out when it's time, but I haven't seen that before. That's pretty pretty interesting. Yes. And then there are different kinds of garden towers available. I mm-hmm. got one. I'm planning to get a couple more of different types just to try them. But I got one that has um, a compost area in the center of it. Yeah. And you add worms to it. Um, so we did that and then grow all your veggies around it. So what, what it's kind of doing really you, well. What kind of things are you growing in that? Um, so we've got lettuce and kale and herbs and um, radishes and beets Um and what else do I have going on? I know I have starts going on right now of all the melons and tomatoes mm-hmm. and peppers oh, wow. as well. Um, got, yeah, got a lot in that thing. Yeah, how many? Is it how, <laughs> how tall is that? Um, I would say it's probably about four feet tall. Okay. So, yeah, about, about five openings around uh, around each. You know, every so inch, if so many inches high. It's got like a, what four or five openings for planting things, or. Um. Yeah, I would say I think about six or so openings okay. around. Probably gets smaller mm-hmm. as it goes up. It's probably that many at the bottom, and then it goes up. Or is it the same all the way up? It's the same all the way up on okay. this one. Okay, and yeah, I've seen the ones that are more like a, a, like a pine tree. Yeah, that you know. Yes, it was a little bit um, pricey to buy this one, uh-huh. um, and we went and visited Joel Salatin's farm right before quarantine started. We mm-hmm. live an hour and a half away from him. Do you know? Um, well, you have a quote at the beginning of your podcast by Joel yeah, Salatin, so I'm yeah. sure you know who Joel Salatin <laughs> is. Um, we went to visit his farm, and he had a garden tower like that. It was made out of, um, like, like the feed barrels. Mm-hmm. I think, like, big barrels. Somebody had had handmade a grow tower like that. So Yeah, I've seen them like that. They'll take them to slice them, and then they'll use, like, a heat gun and pull them out and pull out the openings. Yeah, I've seen that done before. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Yeah, that was pretty impressive after I had just spent a couple hundred on one. 
that. Yeah, I think well, they actually sell like uh, I think they actually sell like these templates. You can uh, I, I've seen them before that you like a paper template that you wrap around a plastic barrel like that, and you can mark all the places where you cut it, and then you just like I said, take a heat gun and and something to pry out on it, and it pulls it out. Uh, yeah, I've seen the templates for that, even to make those out of barrels. Yeah, so. that's very cool. Yeah, again, that's a great that's a great idea for folks who are really limited on space, or maybe living in a community that just doesn't that's going to frown on turning your whole front yard into a garden or something. I mean, you can set a few of those around the around the house or around a back patio or on a deck or something like that, and it would it would probably work, you know, really really well to grow a, a especially I would say greens especially. I mean, you could grow a lot of stuff yeah. for salads, you know, and have probably have a salad every day in a small family, you know, with a couple of those. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to try. There are a couple of other types um, out there, and I thought I'll try a couple different mm. types of garden towers and see what I like best. I like that one yeah. that you got because it takes the uh, – you can put, like, the, the vermicomposting system in the center of it, like a, like a pipe down the middle of it or whatever. I like the idea of that. Yes. And then it has little holes from mm-hmm. there that um, can seep out into the soil so the worms can move about. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I like the idea of that. I mean, it just it cuts down on you know what you're wasting. I mean, again, you, the replacement to that would have to be build you a big old compost bin out back. So if you had a few of those, if that was the only way you were gardening, you could put your you know do your composting right there in the middle of your of your beds, and you ain't got a big old stinky compost bin on your property. And you know, again, it's right. for people who are in a situation. It's more ideal for people who are in a situation where they just they're really limited on what they can do, and so it just goes to show that there are so many things you can do, really, no matter where you're at. I mean, there you you can't do everything. You're finding that out with the chickens and other things. You can't do everything, right. but there's so much you can do, no doubt about it. Yes, definitely. Yes, yeah. I think it's really good, especially right now with the um, grocery stores just not having quite as much as they used to. Um, so. And I don't know how long that'll last, but I think it's it's just good for people to learn how to grow their own food and at least produce some, even if it's not everything. I think it would take um, more land to grow everything we oh, need yeah. to eat. Yeah, yeah. But, but and, you know, again, if you say you do live around a lot of family, you know, if families could join together, um, now I'm not saying it's your situation or my situation, but if a lot of people, if they're around a lot of family, uh, you know, this family could choose to grow a few things and really focus on those two or three things. This family could choose to really focus on these two or three things. And then they could, you know, swap out what they're growing for the other stuff. And everybody could be provided with a lot of variety that way when you, if you're limited on space and work together to, to yeah. grow a lot more like that. And that'd be, you know, be a good plan for, for folks who have a lot of friends or family around them that you would be willing to do that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And it's just a way that, that you could get that variety in st- on limited space still. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you're writing about all this. What uh, uh, what kind of led you to uh, start a blog and and you know uh, uh, focus on all these things? And and you know we wasn't always in a quarantine, of course, and all this stuff wasn't always going on. You've been you've been blogging for a, a long time. Uh, what got you started on that path? Yeah, um, I love to write. I've always been a writer since I was a kid. I wrote a lot. Um, and so it was just kind of a natural thing for me. When we started our farm, I started a blog um, mm-hmm. and just started writing about it and our experiences and what I was learning. There weren't a lot of blogs out then that were showing people how to homestead. Yeah. We could. Um, it was 10 years ago that I started writing that oh, blog. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I could pick up homesteading books, but there weren't a lot of bloggers talking about it. Mm. So well, there's yeah. quite there's I quite a few uh, there's quite a few talking about it now, but very few that are ten years established. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. Yeah. So yes. yeah, I was looking through your blog, and you got some great information on there, and and uh, I mean, a lot of it is for larger scale, and I'm sure you're going to be probably uh, writing more on the smaller scale now that that's the situation you're in, and you're going to be talking about things you can do where you're at now. So yeah, I'm glad to see yeah. that you're you're really doing that uh, to help people out, and it kind of, you know, I find that blogging. I mean, I do it. Part of why I do it is definitely to encourage other people to do it and to help them do it. But I also do it because it kind of motivates me, <laughs> you know, and it keeps me thinking and, you know, and kind of pushing the limits and seeing what I can do. And I, and I enjoy that part of it, too. Yes. Yeah. And farming can and homesteading, even in a neighborhood, can be a bit of a fun experiment, too. Like today, I added some bits of kombucha scoby to some of my tomato starts and didn't add it to others and I can watch that and see what happens and then write about it and yeah. share. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it's a fun experiment and I think it's so good to share that wisdom with other people and pass that down. Um, yeah, so that I'm, I'm yeah. Well, now I'm curious if that's going to work good or not. I've dropped some scobies on the garden before, but I never really kind of like separated to see the experiment, you know, to see if it worked better for one than the other. I've just kind of tossed them in the garden beds before. But yeah, now you got me interested in wondering how well does that work? Cause I always have a lot of scobies left over. Yes. And water keeper grains. I, I can't find anybody talking about adding that to the garden. So I'm hmm. going to try it. And, yeah. um, because a uh, water keeper, I bought, um, a little, it was probably just a couple of tablespoons, maybe a quarter cup worth for $11. And then I started making it every week. And I have like three cups of grains in my fridge now because it just multiplies. Um, and so if I can find ways to use that um, and produce more food with it, that would be great. Now, I've talked about a few times on this podcast in the past about making uh, kombucha and stuff, but I've never done water kefir. Can you tell me just a little bit about the process of that and how that's kind of done? Yeah, it's really easy. So you just basically make a simple syrup out of sugar. So I, I did that. We had a bag of brown sugar that was too hard. Um, couldn't be really used for baking anymore. Mm -hmm. So I just put it in a pot of water and cooked it down. And then I poured it into a jar and put it in the fridge and labeled it with the date. And then, just um, every three days, I have a clean pitcher. I put um, about a quarter cup of the kefir grains in it. I put about a quarter cup of that brown sugar mixture in it, that simple syrup that I made, and then fill the rest with water. I put plastic wrap over it and then set it out on the counter for three days and then strain the grains out of it and reuse them again. And, um, and then... Sometimes what I do, my family really likes this, is that kefir, that, the water kefir that I just made, I'll add a couple of frozen strawberries to it and then put a lid on it and put it in the fridge. And it gets really fizzy, like pop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's really good for you. So. Wow, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, I just, I've never drank it. I mean, I've heard of it, obviously, but I've just never, I wasn't really sure about the process. I haven't really looked it up. It didn't. 
sound that good to me before, but now it's kind of sounding kind of good. <laughs> I kind of want to try it now. I mean, does it have like a, is the, uh, is the ferment taste probably similar to kombucha in the, in the, uh, in the, 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 the you know, kind of that ferment taste? Is it something like that or is it, can you kind of explain yeah. it a little bit? It's similar to kombucha. I would say it's a little milder actually. Okay. Okay. So maybe a little easier to get people who aren't used to that flavor um, mm. into it. It also, it, it contains billions of probiotics in it. Yeah. Um, and I, I was purchasing coconut water kefir from Whole Foods for $18 for a bottle oh, from the refrigerated wow. section. And then using just um, a little tiny bit at a time, little shots of it for good gut health. And I thought, why can't I make this myself? And um, so I started to, and I make it every other time I will make it with coconut water or plain water. So can make it either way. But it takes on uh, flavor profiles pretty good. Like you said, you put strawberries in it, so it'll, it'll absorb mm-hmm. those flavor profiles pretty good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I'm definitely going yeah. to try this. My, that sounds really good. Yeah, my kids ask for it. Usually, so we homeschool kind of like everybody has to right now. But, um, (laughs) my kids kind of mid morning, um, will all, you know, pull out some glasses and make our concoctions of sometimes I'll mix kombucha and water kefir, sometimes just do one or the other, but we all have some (laughs) mid morning. Let's just start thing to keep us going and getting through the school day. Yeah, that sounds great. I know there's like, there's like milk, milk kefir too, isn't there? I mean, I've seen it before. I've never drank it either. Yes. And that's, um, it's like yogurt. It's like a liquid yogurt, but it's uh-huh. got even a lot more probiotics in it than yogurt does. Oh, yeah. It's really simple too. I bet it's, uh, I bet it has a, a lot stronger taste though. I would, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's a yogurt type drink. And so, yeah. um, it's good for smoothies. It, it actually took me a little while to get used to kombucha. Now, I don't like store-bought kombucha, but I like homemade yeah. kombucha. Like when I make it at home, it's pretty good, but for some reason when I buy the stuff, I mean, I've bought it at the store before and I mean, I I have to pour it out sometimes. Sometimes it depends on what flavor I get, but some of it is so strong and so I mean, I just can't drink it. It's <laughs> so I I got in it so I, for a long time I tried a couple from the stores and I I just I didn't like it. So I didn't think I'd ever like it. And then finally I just thought right. I'm going to try to make some. And and I made some and I was like, "Well, this ain't bad." And then I, you even adjust to it more the more you drink it, the more you like it. And I like now I really really like it. And I imagine it's like that with everything. But you, but you say the water kefir is a lot more mild, so I, yeah, I bet kids and you know would have, like it better because this just wouldn't be as strong. Yes, right, right. And I started doing um, perpetual kombucha, so I just have a a big glass jar with a spigot on it. It's one of the really large ones, and it's out on the counter and um, has the kombucha in it. And I just once or twice a week, I'll make a big pot of sweet tea let it cool down and then I'll just add it. Oh, and it to just that keeps it just continually keeps on going that way, huh? Mhm. Yeah. Yep. I've seen some people do that. I mean, I've seen like they have like a like a crock with a spigot on it and then and they'll do that with a crock or something. But yeah, I've seen that. And it works pretty good, I guess. I've never tried it. It sounds easier cuz uh, it's always kind of a process yeah. mixing up a big old jar of it every, you know, week or two. Or I usually yeah, we do a jar a week, usually a big uh, gallon jar of it a week. Yeah. Yeah, I, we have five kids, and so oh, we can yeah, go through it. More. 
pretty quickly. <laughs> so, can you do that with the uh, water keeper also? You have to mix it. You have to make it separately. And... So I don't know. I haven't tried that yet. That's a good question because you do have to strain off some of the grains. Mm, yeah, um, that's true. Because those grains eat the sugar, and I think just the amount of grains because they keep um, multiplying. I think if there were too many grains and not enough sugar, it would be a different when, flavor. When you, do, when you do your kombucha that way, does it, like when you first add it, is it like, does it change the, the strength of the uh, of the, the drink uh, like at first and until it like referments a little bit more or anything like that? Does it take a little while to even out? Yeah, it does. It can taste a little sweeter for the first day or two. Okay. Um, yeah. The kids really like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that sugar hasn't been eaten up yet. So, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. Yeah. I, I, I'd seen it done before, but I've always wondered. I thought, it seems like it would, you know, it wouldn't be fully fermented, of course, at first. So it would change that flavor back and forth. And it would just have this constant, you know, it wouldn't really even out very quick, I would I would think. Right, right. Just sweet tea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I read somewhere that it actually ferments faster that way, but I'm okay. not sure scientifically how that would work. Why? If it's in a big pitcher like that, why is it fermenting faster? I don't know. I bet I bet the scobies grow in it a lot faster than they do in just a single serving jar. Yeah, it's pretty large. Yeah. yeah, I would think that you'd be digging them out of there constantly because they would just be like yeah. a constant flow of them, which is good because you need to use them on your garden, it sounds like. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is what I did this morning. I just <laughs> cut some scoby off and, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're doing some really great things there. I mean, even though you feel limited, of course, I mean, after coming from a 30-acre farm, I mean, and, you're, and yeah. realizing all the things you can't do, I, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you're finding a lot of things you, you can do where you're at and you're doing them. And you're not even just satisfied with that. You're wanting to encourage other people to do those things as well. I mean, you reached out to me because you have a heart for this stuff. You want people to know yeah. that there's things they can do right where they're at. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yes. I think it's 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 really important for people to learn how to grow at least some of their own food. And just, I feel like, too, there's so much um, pleasure in being able to sit down to a meal and know that you grew something yourself mm. that's on your yeah. plate that you get to consume. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it's an, such it's a great experience. Feeling. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, and you know, it's, it's, it, uh, it's something that if you've never experienced it, it's hard to explain, but to look down on your plate and think that all came from here, you know, even, even if you're <laughs> on a small place or whatever, just to think that your, your meal or even a majority of your meal came from your backyard, uh, that, that is a truly amazing feeling. And, and I, like I said, I just don't think people understand that unless they've ever experienced it. It's just, it's amazing. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I imagine there's a lot of people who, you know, feel a little helpless right now. They're like, I don't, you know, I don't live in a place where I feel like I can do a whole lot. And, and with the situation, the way things are right now, and they may feel a little helpless. And I think it's great that people like you and me and, and, and others want to encourage them mm-hmm. to say, no, there's some things you can do. And, you know, here, there's some places, yeah. there's some, there's some places you can go to get some information on how to get started doing those things. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And I think it's, it's good for people um, like us who are, living it who um are in the midst of it to write it out practically for people or speak mm-hmm. it like you're doing on a podcast um sometimes i think the homesteading books can be a bit overwhelming and high yeah. level 
and they don't get into the nitty gritty details. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it I just think kind it's of like it's, it's this, uh, from the sky view kind of look at things instead of, you know, really getting down into the dirt with them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And when the book is trying to cover every single subject, mm-hmm. all the fruits and all the vegetables and all of the animals in one thick book, they can only devote a page or two to, um, you know, raspberries or whatever. But um, and it, it's just I found it's not quite enough sometimes um yeah so i think it's really good to to when we get that kind of knowledge just to share it pass it on well and and the way the world is kind of set up now it's set up in an internet format i mean when you whatever specific thing you're working on what do you do you go google it and you find the information about that thing and mostly that comes from blog posts and and things like that so it's you know it's it's what we use today to get that information so i'm glad people are writing about those things uh, like you i mean glad you're writing about those things and helping people gain that knowledge that they need at the time because you can get a book and you can always go look it up but i mean i know me i i my first thing to do when I'm wondering about something is I just Google it, you know? Yes. 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 And I found too, just even, so I have a Facebook community for the well-fed homestead Mm -hmm. and it's pretty active. Um, I find that people just finding their, their tribe of people that get it, that are living out the same thing. Um, really helps people to not just look at a book or just look at a website. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that's funny because that conversation just happened in our group a couple of days ago where, you know, people were saying, you know, because uh, there's always those people say you can just Google that, you know, because they ask a question. But you know what? Sometimes you want some community. Sometimes you want to talk to people about their own personal experience or sometimes you just want to carry on a conversation with another with a fellow homesteader and get that information directly from them. Uh, it's easier to Google, but yeah. it's 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 uh, it's something special about actually carrying on that conversation with somebody, you know. Uh, yes, I agree. I agree. I think it's so sad in some of like social media groups when somebody asks a question and other people say, well, you can Google that. Yeah, well, yeah. they reached that, out they, for a reason. They, yeah, they know that. <laughs> they want to talk to yes. somebody. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly yes. right. Yeah, that's great. Well, your your blog is the Well Fed Homestead, and 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 it sounds like yeah. uh, um, even though you were on thirty acres uh, before, it was you know you were able to provide an abundance of food for your family and stuff. It sounds like you're going to be able to still provide you know a lot of uh, things to provide a well fed you know homestead again, even on a smaller scale. I mean, so I'm glad yeah. to see that uh, you're going to be able to accomplish that, even though on a smaller level. Um, and 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 uh and write about it and uh encourage others to, to to head down that path so just thanks a lot for what you're doing i really appreciate it yeah thank you and thank you for what you're doing this is a great podcast that you're sharing with the world well, thank you well, thank you yeah thank you for that and and it sounds like uh what you had you want to just uh you have the facebook is it well-fed uh uh homestead uh like a facebook group or something that you have too is that what that is yes mm-hmm. yes i think yeah, the name of it currently might be Brenda Scott, author. Um, but if you search Wolf at Homestead, you'll find it as well. Okay. I'm trying to get Facebook to change the name of it to the Wolf at Homestead. <laughs> but yes. Okay, well, I'll definitely get links uh, to those things, your website, uh, your blog, and and your Facebook group and uh, in, in the show notes. And I'm going to encourage people to really be a part of that because it sounds like you're doing some really great stuff over there. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us today. Thank you.
great interview. Thank you, Brenda, for coming on the podcast and, and sharing a little bit about your story. I, I know that, uh, you feel like you're not in an ideal situation, but you also felt as though you had something to share uh, with this community. And that's that, um, you know, just because you're in a situation that isn't ideal and just because you're not on 30 acres, it doesn't mean there's not things you can do, you know, and, and there are definitely things you can do to homestead right where you're at. So so do those things. Do everything you can where you're at right now. Uh, that's what I've always said since the beginning. And it's always great when I have someone on here that's experiencing that and kind of backs me up on that. And I know most homesteaders believe that, that there's a lot you can do, even if you don't have a lot of land. But it's always great to hear multiple people uh, give witness to that and uh, tell about all the things they're doing. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks for being an encouragement to the audience. I really appreciate it. And I'll definitely have those links to uh, uh, her website, uh, wellfedhomestead.com, and her Facebook group that she mentioned in the show notes. So check those out if you want to go uh, pay her a visit and see all the great things she's writing and, and get involved in that Facebook group. I think it's really good. Also, don't forget that uh, you can support this podcast by being a Patreon member uh, over at Patreon. Uh, dot com we have uh we have our page i'll have links to that in the show notes as well and for just a little bit of help you get extra podcasts you know i just loaded a podcast up this week and i've done it the previous couple weeks we just started this uh three four weeks ago so you know there's not a ton of stuff in there but you're getting some extra podcasts you're getting um, discounts to some products you're getting um you're getting my book from home to small town homestead in PDF format for free if you would like that. And, you know, if you're a new homesteader, that's a great book uh, for someone who's looking to uh, evaluate uh, what they can do uh, on their uh, on their property, uh, even in a situation like an urban or suburban uh, situation. Also, I wanted to mention that uh, if you're not getting it already, the uh, Modern Homesteading magazine that's put together by Anna Sikowski, uh, she was on the podcast a while back. She has a blog called The House and Homestead, and you can go to her website and get that magazine for free right now. And um, I was featured in the uh, the May edition uh, talking about, um, you know, talking a little bit about, uh, uh, growing on a small lot, talking a little bit about victory gardens. And it's a good article. I mean, I had fun, uh, doing the interview with her. So you might want to go check that out and head on over to her website and subscribe to that magazine. I think it's a great addition. She always has a lot of great information in there every month. It comes out every month and it's just been packed full of, of just great stuff. So go check out that magazine. I think you'll really enjoy it. And thanks, Anna, for, for the interview and, and the opportunity to uh, contribute to your to your magazine. I really appreciate that. Well, that's all I have for today, folks. I really do thank you for joining me today. And uh, until next week, happy homesteading and God bless. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To learn more or find more episodes, just head on over to HaroldThornBro.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.